I'm TJ Walsh, and you're listening to the Bold Creatives Collective podcast. Take a front row seat to hear conversations with successful musicians, producers, actors, visual artists, designers, directors, marketers, and more, and learn about their perspectives and approach to leadership, creativity, innovation, and growth. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. I am really looking forward to this conversation today with Caitlin Rigsby uh, about how to take care of your mental health when your art and what you're making has the potential to really impact your your mental health in a significant way. How do we take care of ourselves? Such an important conversation, and I'm really looking forward to it. Caitlin, I'm so glad to see you. Can you just give a little bit of an idea of who you are uh, and what you're about for anyone who's listening right now? Yeah, totally. Thanks, TJ. So my name is Caitlin Rigsby. I am a Philadelphia-based uh, documentary producer. These days, I mostly work in the realm of archival producing, which is sourcing and licensing third-party materials. Um, think uh, classic PBS, think The Vow, which was a series I worked on relatively recently. Um, so yeah, I, I really am driven by um, finding the spaces where normal everyday people and big historical events sort of like smash up against each other and seeing what ordinary people do under extraordinary circumstances. So that's that's me. That's awesome. That's really cool. I think if I were a filmmaker myself, I would totally go in the direction of documentary film, um, storytelling in in that way. That because that's just kind of who who I am. I love learning about people, hearing their stories, um, piecing things together, connecting patterns, and all of those kinds of things in a little bit of a different way than maybe what we're used to seeing on the screen, which is more of like that narrative flavor of storytelling. Um, but I don't think many people, I don't know, this is just like a broad assumption, I guess, but I don't believe many people when, when, and if they are looking to go into uh, studying filmmaking or photography um, or I don't know, writing, um, they necessarily have in their mind that, hey, what I want to do is become a documentarian. Um, mm -hmm. They're thinking maybe more along the lines of, I want to work for one of the big production houses and like the big stars, right? And get them in front of my lens um, and, and, tell, and tell stories, which is totally awesome and worthwhile. And we need that stuff, but we need what you do as well. So maybe before we start talking about you know, the work you're doing right now and how you go about taking care of yourself, you might be able to give us a little bit of a picture into your journey as a filmmaker mm -hmm. and why or how you landed in the world of um, documentary. Yeah, totally. So uh, I I couldn't say that there was one moment where I, where I decided I wanted to be a filmmaker, but that interest sort of like came first when I was in, in middle school, maybe. Um, and I actually, I'm a, I'm a University of the Arts graduate. And I first came to UArts uh, during a pre-college program. And uh, during that program, I made a little documentary about um, this group of uh, artists who were building a boat uh, next to that church on Broad Street. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, the Broad, yeah. Kind of like the Broad Street Ministry, right? Um, exactly. Yes, that. Um, 
Yeah, there was a it was an empty lot at the time, yep. and they were building this boat. And me and, and one of my other uh, you know uh, cohort, we we filmed them. I had a great time doing that. And then, um, but I still sort of assumed that I would be going down like a more fictional path. Um, when I got to UARS, uh, it's a really fascinating program in that like almost all of the at least when I was there, all of the professors were documentarians. And I did a documentary in my in my freshman year about my grandfather, who was a um, Belgian. He, he, he was he was Belgian. He was born in uh, 1924, and he volunteered um, for the resistance against the Nazis during World War II. So that whole documentary was about untangling sort of like family truth and like historical truth. And at the time I didn't have access to a lot of paperwork on his sure. his experience, but sort of like, you know, the stories you tell about your family members and, and sort of what they teach you about yourself. Um, and I loved it. And I, I think some of the professors uh, sort of like took me under their wing, thankfully. And were like, this one, this one loves it. And, we found and so, our next one. We found the one exactly. that's going to carry us forward. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I, I'm I'm eternally thankful for. And sort of from there, I I started really exploring um, how to make this into like not only a craft but also a career. Um, did a lot of internships. Um, found my found myself um, when I graduated working on finding your roots for Henry Louis Gates with Henry Louis Gates Jr., which is a which is a PBS flagship show and has sort of been like in that space ever since such a gift to be able to especially you know on that that show that show we dealt with some really really heavy everything i've worked on is dealt with uh -huh. some really heavy topics um, yeah, like, i mean well, in school you started out like looking at your yeah. grandfather and your family history fighting the nazis right or becoming part yeah. of the resistance so your first foray into document documentary storytelling was not the lightest of topics to begin yeah. with right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, so it's, it, but it, it's very rewarding to um, look, look, you know, shed light to these topics that people don't talk about to, to uplift, you know, the, the everyday person and sort of like put their story front and center. So that's sort of just like the space that I've, I've found myself in for like maybe a decade or so, which is mm. insane to think about. Yeah. It's been so long because it, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. Yeah. Well, it has been. Time goes really fast. <laughs> and then the next thing you, you look up, we've eliminated three years of our existence somehow, and we have no idea where we are. So, yeah. so yeah, that decade is that decade is really fast. Um, yeah. And I keep seeing like promos for that Henry Louis Gates project. Yeah, they're doing and I'm like, super I need cool to watch it right this. now. Yeah. It's it's just a beautiful show. If you, if you have any interest in history, I still know many of the people who work on it. And they're they're really an incredible group of producers and editors That's and awesome. just crew. Yeah. That's awesome. And can you just just for me and my curiosity, yeah. you know, the difference between, or maybe there's not a difference, and you'll tell me, but the difference between, you know, a documentarian um or a documentary filmmaker and what you do as an archival documentarian. Yeah. Like what is there a difference there? Is it a role? Yes. So it's so I, I consider myself a documentarian, but sort of like in my day job within the documentarian umbrella, I'm an archival producer. So um, what I do is I um, am hired onto a project to find and manage the relationships with and clear, which means either pay for or heavily discuss with lawyers, a fair use options for right. all the third party materials in that show. 
or, or movie. Um, so I, I, I did that on the vow and, um, that was an interesting one because all, you know, it's deeply, deeply, um, upsetting story. You know, it's about, a, it's a sex cult. Um, and you know, some, some man who, who, whose name I won't say, you know, it's out there, Googleable easily, but uh, I, I don't want to give him power sure. like that. Right. Um, but you know, this, this man who took advantage of people who were, who were, uh, leaning into him for religious and uh, self-improvement purposes. Um, so that was an interesting one because we, 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 we a lot of the materials we used came from the people who were victimized by him. Mm, mm-hmm. So it's managing the relationship. It's dealing extensively with lawyers um, to make sure that we're not um, risking libel or defamation. Yeah. Um, and the materials that we, re- you know, got from, from news sources or other third party places um, that we didn't have to um, clear through a materials release. It was, it was discussing really heavily with the lawyers to see what we could clear through um, fair use, which is a legal copyright principle that says you can use other people's materials if you're transforming it or if you're using it in an educational way. So you're really involved in making sure that everything that makes it to the final production has yeah. been vetted, has been has been cleared, has been talked about, um, yeah. so that the final the final project is all set up and ready to go without any without any issue Um, but you're coming in contact with all of this material probably in its some of its rawest form right you're interacting with people who have been uh, victimized traumatized in one way or another and talking about with either themselves or their representation you know, how can we use this really personal stuff of yours, right? So you're hitting this stuff on multiple levels as a person um, just coming in contact with it. And that must be really, really heavy. It is. And um, it's also it's also heavy to, to look at this stuff too so um you know not necessarily not just the vow but you know the vow and other um smaller projects that i'm I'm currently working on you you see and hear atrocious things and it's just part and and there's a there's a level of um sort of like a veil that sort of like comes over you Mm -hmm. you know you know when when you're listening you know to a cult leader You know, you, you develop sort of like a filter for some of the things that he says, but um, the women is, is, is deeply upsetting. Yeah. Um, for for a little while, I worked on a late night TV show, and um, that that I, I realized that I couldn't keep doing that because these were unresolved issues. Mm. These were um, these were issues that were developing and that we were reporting on essentially, mm-hmm. like in mm-hmm. in the moment, and yeah. I was having nightmares because really? they were huh? ah, yeah because they just it, 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 they were these were issues where there was no end in sight gotcha. versus right. you know the, the bad guy gets arrested um the the person yeah you know, I, I worked on a on a pbs documentary called the blinding of isaac woodard which really tragically uh about a african-american world war ii veteran isaac woodard who on the day of his discharge is um the victim of police brutality and was blinded for the rest of his life as a result. Horrible story. And right. he, he didn't get his dues until in, until 2020. <laughs> you know, 
you know, and, you know, this happened in 1945 or 1946. No way. Wow. Oh, geez. Mm -hmm. And, but he gets his dues and you hear from him at the end of the film and, and, and there is a resolution, even if it isn't, um, necessarily what we would want for him you know there's a conclusion to the story there is no conclusion to you know um the the, the horrors of lethal injection <laughs> you know <laughs> right right that is just like this ongoing thing that just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling yeah. at least right now right um whereas what you're saying you know having the having the bookend there the closure the, mm -hmm. the finality, maybe not the best version of that, um, but exactly. something that says, okay, this this trauma in the way that we've been looking at it is not taking place anymore. And I'm able to, you know, rest in that reality. Like it's not exactly. just this constant, constant thing. But you talk exactly. about this... Um, this veil kind of that that comes down uh mm -hmm. as you're encountering this um this material um and you're just kind of letting it go in your ears and maybe you're doing your assessment assessment of like is this usable is this not is this what does this match our 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 goals and our 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 particular perspective mm -hmm. um is it telling the story in a holistic way blah 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 right but there's this yeah. like there's this disconnect or this distance that you try to put put in place. Um, and I think that that's a really normal um, experience for a human being who is in touch with trauma in uh, any number of ways, right? We have this uh, need to distance ourselves from it so that we don't um, encounter what we call uh, vicarious trauma, right? Or secondary mm -hmm. trauma. Um, have you, like, when did you first notice that that was something that you did, that that was a defense mechanism mm. to use like a term from my therapy world, the defense mechanism to protect yourself? Is there a time when you were like, oh my gosh, like I was here, but I wasn't totally here? I, yeah, I that probably started very, very early on. Um, you know, I even even back in uh, my you know, that first film that I made, you know, I, you know, I, talking about my grandfather's experience and my grandfather's trauma, you there's a there's a natural distance. Um, documentarians are sort of like, you know, we, we like to get up in people's stories and sort of yeah. like get up in their in their faces but there is still like a like a physical barrier being the the camera um or or that being the computer when you're editing something right. so I, I i don't know if i could point to like a like a a moment or a particular project where i was like oh i'm, I'm doing this sort of uh you know i i'm i'm here but i'm but i'm viewing this through a filter through a veil looking back, I, I think that's just always something that I've engaged in. Uh, maybe not consciously. I definitely not consciously, actually. It's all, it's something, you know, it's probably something that I, that I realized I was tapping in and out of. Actually, yes. Okay. To answer your question. Okay. I, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I had to go all the way back around in order to be like, actually, yes, I do know this. So, okay. um, awesome. Working on, 
on the vow, um, you know, I, I live with my with my boyfriend, with my partner, and he um, expressed like a horror at at some of the things that um, were, were being said in the in the you know I, I was I was talking about what I was looking at very cavalierly, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Whoa, <laughs> that is insane. That is like that is horrible. That is that is disturbing. That is disgusting." And I yeah. was like, "You're right," but I. I hadn't, and when you're in, um, you're working with a team of people, um, and some of, some of these film crews are, you know, at least on my end, some of these productions can be very small. I've worked on one where the day in, day out people told like five, and some of them can be very large, but regardless of the size, you sort of develop like a gallows humor or a yeah. sort of like self, it, it, it's truly like, um, Oh, what's the phrase when you when you when you bond trauma bond trauma bonding yeah trauma bond a little bit um right. so it sort of it it takes sometimes like an outsider's perspective to like come back in and be like yeah this is this is even if you're even if you're editing something or, or right. looking at something with sort of like a, a critical eye to the destruction of it you still have to remove yourself and it isn't until someone else from the outside looking in is like. Hey, this um, is this is intense, right? Or this, yeah, is, yeah. I mean, what is what was that like for you the first time your partner, you know, encountered you know your work in mm-hmm. that moment where he was like, "Holy shit, that is a lot. That's a lot. This is what you're. This is what you're looking at all day. That's that's big. What was it like for you to be maybe like shaken out of that stupor for a second? Yeah, it took it took me a a back it's so it be, it's so normalized and right. um a lot of documentary documentary work right now is is like true crime oriented which is a whole other conversation about the ethics of that and sure. sort of like what what that means for our culture for there yeah. to be such a huge like yeah. interest in i in will say that i mm-hmm. that i am a consumer of true crime documentary <laughs> right but every time yeah. i turn it turn it on i'm like uh, this doesn't really, there's a bit of like a dissonance there, right? Like, you know, I'm thinking of some, you know, recently within the past six months that I, that I really got into and I'm like, first of all, this is not like far away history, right? This is stuff that has happened within the last couple of decades where there are still victims and family members and everything who, you know, are still themselves trying to find some kind of resolution to some of these stories. Right. So to your point of, you know, the ethics of, of it, you know, it's something that I do think about as I still watch the work. Right. Um, But I think it's something that we need to think about. Anyway, that was a little bit of a sidebar, but talking about, um, about your, about your partner coming in and like saying, you know, his perspective with what you're working on and you know it takes you aback right um and you started talking about like you know the true crime work that we're so fixated on today yeah so i i I, it when i i could i could relate to it because uh i you know i've watched true crime i listen to it from time to time um and there's a horror in it when when you're when you're experiencing it for an hour and a half, for two hours, for, you know, six hours over the course of three episodes, that 
diminishes with the exposure to it. So it really took me back. It made me question my um, morality or like humanity almost like that. I, that I was, I was, I was being numb to sort of like the atrocities that I was, Mm -hmm. I was seeing and hearing and engaging with. Yeah. Uh, And it it really made me question the direction that some of the projects that I work on and taking Um, not to like, go too much into that but you know you you want these projects to, to be sympathetic and to be um aware of like the the, the full scope of the horror and victim focused um right. in, in an in an ideal world always victim focused and not yeah. um ogling at the at the at perpetrator the, or the perpetrator. yeah exactly um so that that's something that i've been trying to think about like in my work and with the projects that I'm, I'm, I'm choosing, you know, as, as my career has um, sort of grown, but also I felt more secure in it. it the, mm. the, the film industry is like, is like a triangle, you know, there's so many people trying to get in at the bottom, the mistreatment I accepted while I was like fully at the bottom, the, the low pay, the long hours, mm-hmm. the abuse, yeah. you know, I, I'm way less tolerant of it now than I was before because I feel more secure in my ability to say yes or no to things. Yeah. Um, not just, you know, um, I won't, I won't take that rate or I, but also I won't take that project because it doesn't align with, with my goals as a filmmaker or um, with my morals. Right. Well, that is, that is something that so many people come in, come in contact with early on starting out. I mean, yep. film industry, you know, maybe that is one that we hear a little bit more often in terms of like the the inroads right at the various entry points. Mm-hmm. But it happens all over the place where, you know, you come in and it's like you have to pay your dues. Right. There's a requirement yeah. or an unspoken rule or even a spoken rule uh, where you have to just like take what is given to you if you want to eat. Right. Yeah. And yeah. people leave their like values and their morals, you know, at the door because it's either hold on to those or and don't eat or take the work and eat, right? And yeah. it's unfortunately not until you're you have some some seniority or tenure or experience where you can start to be more choosy. And that's a really unfortunate, but that's the game that we're all we're all playing. Um, yeah. But I guess that's one of the ways that now you take care of yourself is you say, okay, like, what is this opportunity um, that they're giving me? And mm-hmm. does it fit within my standards of practice and my values and my morals? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And also, are the, are the people working on it, do I feel comfortable with them? Too? Do I trust their um, their vision and their ability to do this story justice? You know, are 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 there are their goals in alignment with um with mine? Yeah. Um it's 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 film film um crews, um production companies are are so top down, you know, that a director can really make or break morale on a project you don't realize it until you've done it a few times. And I've worked on some incredible projects with some really tight knit um, crews um, where I felt like I could go and say this isn't working for me this is working for me right um, and I've worked on some where I have I have not felt like I've had that uh, right. ability and and um, whether or not the end product uh, you know is, is is regarded well 
that I think that that's a I think you can do a you can do a documentary about a hard subject that is well regarded and isn't um, re-traumatizing for um, viewers and also for the victims. Right. Right. Man, there's just so much that goes into, you know, the thought process around everything that you're that you're doing on a project right from you know how do we as a as a crew and a production you know hold on to the values that we have and the vision that we have in a way that you know takes care of everybody but especially the victims um and how do we treat the victims in a way that you know is honoring their their life and their experience Right. There's yeah. so many different layers to this. And I imagine it can be really just like overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's a lot. Yeah, definitely. So what are some ways then that you as, you know, an artist who's very focused on her work um, day in and day out when you're when you're on a project? Um, how do how does she take care of herself? when you know you close your laptop turn off your screen right get out of the get off off the set if you're there um what are some of the things that you would recommend other people in your situation or different uh, do for themselves yeah so i have as i've I've gotten older and sort of advanced in my career i have gotten better about really strictly delineating this is work time this is personal time um, when I was younger, I would take work calls, work emails. I would do, yeah. I would do other people's jobs on the weekend. I would like, yeah, because it's all about showing I'm capable. I'm capable. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm committed. Mm-hmm. I'm, you want me on your team, right? I, exactly. you don't, I don't want to be kicked out of this thing that I just cr- crawled my way through. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, I, you know, you, you can have a four-year degree, you can have a master's. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's like you know, how do you fit in? Do people want you around? What is your network, right? Exactly. So I I've gotten much better at being like, this is my this is my work time. This is I I will be diving into this world and I'll be shutting it off when you know I'm done billing by the hour or. When, when my work day is over, um, we've also in in have the you know the luxury of of living in a house that has multiple rooms. So this yep. is a complete workspace. Um, I, I have The Sims on this computer, which is like my <laughs> own life, only because I don't have a, a gaming laptop but that it's coming soon. Um, my my partner and I have a, a different space where you know we can play video games and, yep. and watch TV, and it's it's a smaller room. It's it's kind of womb-like. <laughs> I've realized um, very cozy, lots of yeah. uh, handles and squishmallows and like all that, all that. Comfortable, stuff. right? Exactly. It's softer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. And um, some, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, let myself work in different parts of the house. If like I, if I particularly need to just like be, you know, in bed, which isn't professional, but I, I work from home. So it's fine. <laughs> so I, I sort of just like allow myself to like be in a space where I, I feel comfortable and safe. And um, I, I let myself again, like as time has gone on, prior- deprioritize the speed um, and prioritize myself. 
So like part of what I do is as I'm bringing in these, these chunks of material, I'm sort of like the first line for the editor. Okay. So what I do, I, I get like an hour long clip. I have to watch that hour long clip right. and I'm making notes, you know, yeah. um, main character says that I'm transcribing, you know, things yeah. that, that strike me as interesting. And I, for a, a long time, I thought I was going to be an editor. So I, you know, I, you know, trying to look at those things like an editor would, you know, what sounds are interesting, what, 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 you know, visuals are interesting. What, what's the dynamic that you can see or hear? Right. Um, so you're really different. like intensely using your senses, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, throughout that process, which is different than just like turning on the, the, the file, running the file and just having it like play in the background is not yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. You are yeah. very focused. And so whatever is, is in that clip or, you know, uh, in those pictures, you're there. So I'm processing it. Yeah. yeah, fully, fully, fully. And and trying to note it so that, you know, if if even it, like a silly request comes in, like I need the main character wearing blue shoes, I can I can do a, a, a search. search and find that file. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, process as much information as possible so that we can save ourselves on the back end. Um, so so I, I allow myself to take more breaks, especially if, if something is is really upsetting. And I, I it, it makes me slower. But I, I think that actually with these projects, um, allowing yourself to be moved by particular th particular things, allowing yourself to be to be impacted makes for a better end product. Sure. Because I, I could I could sit here and I, I could type, you know, like uh, main character um, says X, Y, Z. But it's 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 better for everyone to be like this. This moment right here took me aback. This moment like caused right. the, caused a the reaction in me. Um, right. if, we're, if that's the story that we're trying to tell, if, if we're if that's the emotional hook that we're going for. Right. Well, um, that's, that's your humanity. That's your empathy. Mm -hmm. um, and if we strip that away, it, it it becomes robotic, not without feeling all of those things. And that to go back to, you know, your one defense <laughs> mechanism, yeah. right, of separating yourself away, that's really important for a, a number of reasons, but this sense of allowing yourself to experience all of the emotion that comes with seeing things like this, having pe people's lives be impacted in front of you, that is a really important piece of processing as well, right? Yeah. And whether you're able to do that on your own because of your own awareness and insight and just emotional ability or you need to go and get you know professional help weekly or whenever that's a really important thing for you to for you as in everybody um to do mm -hmm. because our bodies hold on to all of this stuff and until yeah. we work it out either through exercise physical movement other kinds of somatic processes in therapy um reprocessing the trauma that we see and experience it's just going to stay with us so allowing yourself to get up and walk away um to shut off for a little while to allow yourself to actually cry um mm -hmm. if that is what you need to do or laugh if for whatever reason that is what is going on right that is so important 
Um, and to say, I'm experiencing this, not in the same way that these characters or people are experienced, have experienced it, but I'm still a human being who is now engaging and interacting with this experience. And I'm going to therefore experience it myself. Right. And you need to take care of yourself in so many, in any way that makes, makes sense for you. Exactly. And, and one of the, one of the other, my, my, my boyfriend has been really instrumental with it. He is a huge empath. Um, and, and I, I think that I do engage a little bit more in some, you know, uh, keeping that stuff at an arm's dis- at arm's length. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, again, like I, this is, this is not a privilege I had when I was earlier on in my career, but I, I try to take advantage of it now. I, I, I try to give myself regular time off. Yeah. Is gig work so you know often you know you have to move on to the next thing um but i i rolled from one like highly traumatic <laughs> project into one that was way less you know was was a lot more fun but but when i wrapped off of that one i i took i think a month off mm-hmm. um which you know financially a little bit stressful you know but yeah mental health wise way easier so I recovered so much in that time. I hadn't even realized like how much stress I was holding on to. Right. And, um, you know, and, and now doing a lot more, a lot of archival producing work, I tend to pop on to projects and pop off, which I think has been better for me. You know, you can live it, you live in a world for five weeks and then maybe you do it part time. So you have a day off in the middle mm-hmm. of the week sort mm-hmm. of recuperate or you know maybe maybe you take a two-week break before you go on to the next thing it's it's a little bit more such and go versus the projects i was working on before where it was a year straight a year and a half straight right just- where you're just fully mm-hmm. immersed in heaviness mm-hmm. 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 Exactly. exactly yeah i think that that's that's really good advice and insight um maybe you don't have the ability to totally like shut off and not take work after whatever you're doing right now. Yeah. But thinking through and planning, right. The types of projects, how many of these types of projects can I physically, emotionally, mentally handle in a year? And what are things that I can supplement with between those projects, right? So you go from something that is maybe really heavy. And if you can't take time off, you take a contract that is on a project that is more lighthearted or um, not as intense, right? So that you allow yourself to decompress and to remember that, oh, there's, there's better stuff in life than all of this, like, insanity that people, you know, um, put on the other people, right? Like pacing yourself is, is really important. Um, that's what I do when I work with people, I have some really intense clients. And then because my work is like hour by hour often, right. I schedule my, my day. So I have a really intense client. And then I have some clients that, you know, don't require as much from me. Um, and it just helps, to not burn me out because burnout is legitimate when you're so involved in people's lives and i imagine that that's similar uh, in ways to to you when you're consuming all of this material 
Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I think I, I don't think I had a had time off for two years. <laughs> I just rolled from one to the next to the next. And by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, I have to stop. <laughs> I have to stop. I have to do something different, right? I yeah, have to. Yeah. Yeah. And my boyfriend was like, you, you can't do this. You can't keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, he's this is, like, this is yeah. Disruptive. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you do. You need to stop. You need to slow down. You need to do something different. Right. Yeah. And that's another yeah. thing that I talk to people about all of the time too, or not all of the time, because that's a lot of time, but often <laughs> I will talk to people about, you know, it's okay to realize when you've had enough, right. When you've yeah. done, when you've done enough of this you're not a failure. You're not someone who can't take it. You're not whatever judgment uh, you you might place on yourself or believe others are placing on yourself when you say, you know what, I need to do something completely different right now, right? I can't even maybe work in the industry right now. I'm going to take a sabbatical, right, from this from this work and maybe I'll do something adjacent to it or maybe I'll go and like pour coffee for people for a little while right because it's more important at the end of the day that you remain standing and alive than you know being just constantly beaten down um, by the intensity of the work and that is okay too that is another way that we can take care of ourselves um, yeah. It's a hard thing to realize and to get to the point of saying, because we like to all think that we can, we can keep taking it. We can keep doing this. This work is important, right? I'm contributing to um, making society better or more informed or whatever. Um, but there are other people who will also do that, right? While you take a step back. Um, yeah, absolutely. You can always, yeah. you can always reenter, you know, at, at another point. Um, this has been a really great conversation and I think it gives people a lot of stuff to chew on in terms of like, okay, so I'm doing really intense work. How can I Mm -hmm. take care of myself? Or maybe I'm not alone and feeling overwhelmed and, you know, needing a break because Caitlin has also experienced this, right? That is really important, but maybe you can just talk for a minute or two about how someone like just like think back to your younger self um, who's like thinking about art school and thinking about getting into storytelling. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some things that younger emerging artists um, might do to prepare themselves for, you know, the grind and being at the bottom kind of of that heap of people trying to break in that's a great question I I um it's so difficult because I don't know if I would do anything differently necessarily I I am I feel so thankful for the for the experiences I had for the for the internships and the people that I met because they built up my community but I guess that's that's it. I was lucky enough to be able to, um, even while I was working like an absolute lunatic and not getting paid enough. Yeah. With, within that, I had experiences of like true mentorship and community. Mm. So I, I, I think my my advice to my younger self was, is you should take as many opportunities as you can, um, but use that to sort of like suss out 
um, the, the, the people who will help grow you and help, um, not just advance, but like as a, as a, as a creative, but also just like as a person. As a person. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I gave a lot of people, you know, my, my, my time and my effort and those were incredible experiences, but not all of them. Um, they didn't all have more benefit than, than harm, you know? And the ones that did, the ones, those ones, there's, there's still people who are in my life. There's still people who I can shoot an email to. There's still people who I put on um, as references for me. Those are relationships that I've cultivated. So you, you, you have to trust your gut there. You know, there were some interviews I walked into and I was like, I don't know about this. And I, I still went through with it. And I don't know if it was, if, if it benefited me necessarily. Yeah. It didn't hurt me right necessarily but it, it didn't help me um find my voice it didn't mm-hmm. necessarily help me find my like i mean that as a person but also as a creative and it didn't help me find my community right so you know look at the world um find all the people but you have to develop a a strong sense of um just like gut you know like is this person yeah. good for mm-hmm. me is, is this yeah. person's creative practice something that um i i admire or is or am i getting like a sense that maybe they have different interests or goals than i do and that's okay it doesn't mean that they're necessarily like a bad person but that doesn't right. mean sure that you don't you don't have to sure. be in creative practice with them sure um, there's a difference between taking work that isn't ideal or what you want to do but it will still help you along the way. Right. And a difference, you know, there's a difference to that with taking work that is just bad news, right. That is just not going to help you. (laughs) You're not going to get anything in return for it. You might even be harmed in some way. Um, You know, there's a difference because as a young person, as a young uh, I can't believe I said that. I'm getting so old, by the way. Um, <laughs> as a young person, you're going to have to take work that mm-hmm. isn't like your dream job. And that is yeah. the unf- that is just the reality um, yeah. of it. But it doesn't mean that, you know, it's worth less work. It is work that is going to help you develop mm-hmm. that gut, develop that intuition to know, you know, this is this is work that will help build my network will help teach me how to be a better creative you know will get me to the next step versus this is work that is going to chew me up and eat me alive and just beat me down or whatever whatever else it can do right yeah Um, exactly but yeah so I hear what you're saying develop that gut develop your intuition learn to listen to it learn to trust it um, and focus not only on becoming a better creative or a better artist, but also find people who are going to help you become a better human being because ultimately that will inform your creative practice as well as just helping you, you know, live in the world in a better way, in a way that's more meaningful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Caitlin, thank you so much for this conversation. It was so fun talking to you. I love reconnecting with, I should just really honestly call this like the UArts alum podcast (laughs) because I find that I always go home 
to to my UArts University of the Arts roots and find people. But I, I don't think it's just because like I have like this phobia of leaving the nest. But <laughs> UArts really does create really impactful um, artists and creatives who are doing so many amazing things in the world um, to make it a better place, to make it a more interesting place. And you are one of those people. And I'm definitely going to go search out all of your work on PBS. And maybe I need <laughs> to like actually use my my passport membership that I have. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like what passport? They keep telling me about this thing and I should actually maybe log into it. But anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, TJ. It's been great. You're welcome. Everybody, this has been the Bull Creatives Collective Podcast. Uh, I love bringing these things to y'all, and I look forward to the next time that we can hang out. <laughs> <laughs>